Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So I went to, when I was employed in South Africa, we went to a special place out of the city. We dressed casually. We got to this beautiful place and there was an an army type sergeant major looking man who came and said, right, I'm in charge of you today. And he put a plastic sheet on the ground. It wasn't very big, a couple of meters square. And he put eight of us to stand on this plastic sheet And we were all quite close to each other because it wasn't a big sheet. And there were people, little old ladies who were bookkeepers, big burly men, the printer, the secretary, the accountant, everybody on this little sheet, eight of us. And he said, right, you have to turn that sheet over, but you're not allowed to step off the sheet. Imagine this is all lava. You're in a volcano and you're just on this little thing, but you have to turn the sheet over without anybody touching the ground. And that was our task, our team building task. And everybody had an idea and there was a lot of discussion and we ended up with some of the people being carried or held by some of the bigger people and we all squeezed into a corner of the sheet and we got as small as we could and then somebody else turned a corner of the sheet over and then we moved back to that bit and they turned another corner and we did it. And it was a challenge. And the disciples, it tells us in Matthew 28, were called by Jesus to a special place. And he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has now been given to me. I've died on the cross. I've taken the keys of hell back from Satan. I'm now the rightful ruler of the universe. Therefore, and this verse should come up on your screen. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, because I have now got all authority, you have a task to do. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything or to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the disciples are there. There's 12 of them stuck on a little sheet. They've been given their task. What do they do? Let's make it real for us. Imagine we are stuck on this little sheet and Jesus says to you and to me, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There's no difference in time. Jesus is above time. So what he said to them then is exactly the same and as applicable and as important as it is to us today. He says to you, us. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go make disciples of all types of people, all nationalities. When it says all nations, it's the word ethnos, which means ethnic groups. Every ethnic group, make disciples of them, baptizing them, teaching them. And when you're doing that, he says, I'm the sergeant major, but I'm not going to leave you. When you're doing that exercise, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now he leaves them. What do they do? What would you do? Would some of us carry others and we start working out a way to make disciples? Would we look at the skills and we say, you're good at, you're good at organizing. You're good at teaching. You're good at technical stuff. You're good at worship. Would we set up 
a corporation with a mission statement and a website and, an, and a business plan for the first year, the five years, 10 years with financial projections and set up campuses in different parts of the world and raise funds and, and get a curriculum and say, we are gonna make disciples. Would we? What has the church in the world done with the Great Commission of making disciples? What have we done with Jesus' instructions, his task, his mission for us. What have we done with it? Unfortunately, many, many Christians, and I'm not talking about us because this church is amazing, but unfortunately 90, well, there was a survey in America done last year, and more than half of the Christians, church, active churchgoers, had never heard of the Great Commission. So they're standing on their little piece of plastic and they don't even know why. What are we doing here? And then somebody says, let me lift you up so we can do this. They say, stop that. Why are you doing that? Because they don't know why. They don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The church and our mission has become so vague and so watered down and everybody's got a different interpretation. Well, when he said that, I think he really meant have coffee and make it a nice experience for me and let me just enjoy some nice music and some entertainment. We've changed it so much that we're not achieving it, most of us. But I wanna tell you something great. Jesus said, I am with you always when you're doing this, but he also said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is doing this mission, whether we get involved or not. If we get involved, we get the excitement and the blessing and the exhilaration of working with Jesus and doing what he's wanting us to do. If we don't, we're on the sidelines. We may still get to heaven, perhaps. That's another sermon for another day but we will have missed out on the excitement of doing the mission with Jesus here and now. So, before I talk about how they did the mission and how we do the mission, let me just read you two verses. Luke chapter six and verse 40, just to summarize a little bit of what we've already learned in this series. Luke chapter six and verse 40. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. The purpose of discipleship is to become like the teacher. Whenever the word disciple appears, it almost always goes with the word teacher or rabbi, because when people came to Jesus, they said, I wanna be your disciple, and they called him rabbi, which means leader guru, teacher. The purpose of discipleship is to learn from Jesus, to become like him, not just head knowledge, but to become like him. So we are supposed to be disciples and we're supposed to make disciples. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with learning from the rabbi, Jesus, and how are you doing with making other people disciples? Just one other verse I must throw in here. Matthew 23, verse eight. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You're all the same, but I'm the rabbi, Jesus said. Don't let anyone call you the teacher. He goes on to say, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, 
he who is in heaven. Don't let anyone make themselves more important than anyone else. There's no special clergy class who are closer to Jesus than everyone else. And then he goes on to say, and do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. There is a misconception in modern church, which is a reason we don't do discipleship, is we think I must be a discipler and make disciples of myself and make people look to me as the rabbi. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You must make disciples, but they must look to Jesus. They must look to him, not to us. And our job is to make disciples of Jesus. So how are we going to do it? And how are we doing at this task? Let me give you a quick, a quick overview of what happened. Jesus gave the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There were 120 little believers stuck, huddled, fearful in an upper room, isolated, just like modern churches, away from the rest of the world, hidden, irrelevant to the rest of the world, praying, scared, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them, a violent rushing sound like a wind. Power, flames of fire come on each one of them, not just the important ones, even the little unimportant ones get anointed. And then they go out and they start sharing the gospel. Acts chapter three, four, five, they start meeting in the big meeting place, the temple courts, but also house to house, they're meeting, they're worshiping, they're listening to the teachings that the apostles are giving, and they're growing daily. The Lord is adding to their number those who are being saved, thousands, 3,000. 5,000, they're just growing, growing. Then they didn't obey Jesus' uh, command to go out into all the world and make disciples, so the Lord allowed a persecution to come, and they started getting killed in Jerusalem, so they started spreading. Philip goes to Samaria, a huge revival breaks out. A whole community starts believing in Jesus. They get baptized in water, but now he doesn't know what to do, so he calls the apostles from Jerusalem. They come and they get them baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit, and they teach them how to have little discipleship groups, churches where they worship Jesus, where they listen to teaching, where they start to go out themselves to make more disciples. Then Peter gets called by Cornelius. He has a dream where a sheet of, of different animals comes down and Cornelius says, come and preach. And Peter goes to his house. There's a house full of non-Jewish people. Peter preaches to them, the Holy Spirit falls, they all start speaking in tongues. So he and his friends start baptizing them in water and another church is set up. And then from Acts 13 onwards, Paul and Luke and Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus, they're a little team that we see how they did it, but there were many other teams. It wasn't just Paul. There were many teams like Paul. So Paul and his team, Barnabas, go out, and they go to very many cities. They preach, and they set up communities. On the way back, they appoint elders or leaders, and churches are formed. And then the last church that we have a record of Paul starting and being at is the church of Ephesus. After he's started many, many, many churches in many places, Ephesus is his crowning glory, his pièce de résistance, his best effort at everything he's learned on how to, how to do the Great Commission. He does it in Ephesus. Let me just read you Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, 
He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. So these were real disciples. It's told us they were disciples. And we know from the previous chapter that they followed the teaching of Apollos, who was a man who taught about Jesus accurately. They were real disciples, but he didn't understand baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. So Paul, who has a gift of an, an apostle and a teacher, he comes in and he corrects a few things and he tells them about the Holy Spirit. He prays for them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. He baptizes them in water. Uh, verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. 12 little people in a group, a discipleship group in Ephesus. That's the start of the church. Next verse. And Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. So there's this little discipleship group, and perhaps several others are now springing up, and Paul is continually preaching in a big gathering, the synagogue, but they don't receive him well. Verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them, withdrew the disciples, and reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he hires a school hall, which maybe seats 100. I don't know how big a school hall is in Ephesus, but he starts with a little group of 12. He tries to preach in a big group. He doesn't get accepted, so he hires a school hall. And every day he's teaching to a group of, I don't know, 100, 200. Um, and then the next verse is just the most uh, uh, amazing verse. And this continued for two years. What continued for two years? Small groups meeting in homes. You say, Greg, how do you know they were meeting in homes? Because 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19, Paul is writing from Ephesus to another church and he says, Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets in their home greet you. From Ephesus, there were churches meeting in homes of 10, 8, 12, 15 people. Then there was the daily meeting in the school hall of Tyrannus where there's 100 or 200 and listen to this, and this continued for two years, this way of doing church, lots of little discipleship groups, teaching in a big meeting. So what's that gonna produce? How is that gonna achieve the Great Commission? How are we gonna get the sheet turned over with us? How does this work? Because when the church is working, God gets involved and something supernatural happens. Listen to this. This continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All who dwelt in the whole province, that's, that's a huge area, that's many cities, not just Ephesus, many cities, everyone in that whole province heard about Jesus. Was it Paul who told them about Jesus? No, he was every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Who was it? Everyone who was listening to him caught this idea that it's all of us. It's our mission to make disciples. And what Paul had done in Ephesus, they went and did in Colossae and Laodicea and all the different cities around Asia until everyone in the whole province had heard the word of the Lord in two years. 
Just let that sink in. Now compare that to our churches today. And I really don't want to criticize, but we have to be honest and say, are we achieving the task? And the answer is generally in the Western world, no, we are not achieving the task. And the reason is because our churches are not like this church in the Bible. The church in the Bible was like this. Everybody was a minister. If you came to church, you were part of the ministry team. You weren't the audience and the professionals did the ministry. Everyone was a minister. Number two, we understood our mission. Everybody understands what our mission is. It's to be disciples and make disciples. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit is there. Number four, they meet in small groups and in larger gatherings. And they're committed. You know, I don't have time right now to go through the book of Ephesians. So we've just read how the Ephesian church started. But then there's a book called Ephesians in the Bible. So Paul starts this church in Ephesus. Then several years later, he writes to the church in Ephesus. And the word church appears in the book of Ephesians more than any other book in the Bible because he's clarifying why that church was the most amazing church um, out of all the churches that he started. So in Ephesians 1, he says, Jesus, after he died and rose again, went and sat at the right hand of God, far above all powers and principalities and names. All authority has been given him to him. Why? For the church, who is the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. He says the reason Jesus is in all authority is so the church can expand. Ephesians 2, the next chapter, he says, you are the household and the family of God, and you're like a building, bricks, each of you is a brick being built and fitted together so that God can live there by his spirit. Then Ephesians 3, verse 10, says, God's intent, if you can put this up on the screen, God's intent was that now, his manifold wisdom, that word manifold means multicolored, multi-textured, multifaceted. You know, in Ephesians 2, he's talked about how all different races and types and, and ages and different types of people are put together in one new man called the church. Then in Ephesians 3, he says God's intent was that this multifaceted, diverse group called the church, God's multifaceted wisdom could be displayed through the church to the powers and principalities. At the end of Ephesians 3, he says, to God be glory in the church for all time. The church, the church, the church. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 4, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Then he says, when Jesus rose again, he took captivity captive. In other words, he, he stopped the devil from doing anything, anything more than how he used to do it. The devil used to have power and authority. Jesus took it back and it, he took captivity captive. And then it says, and he gave gifts to men. So the picture is of Jesus rising up to heaven. He's grabbed the devil by the throat and says, you don't have power anymore. And he's given gifts to men. What are those gifts? 
Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16, he says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. There's some people who are coaches who have a gift of being able to help other people use their gifts. He says their purpose is to equip the saints for the works of the ministry, not to do the ministry, but to help others do ministry. Then he says in the future verses, we all do our job. Let me read verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 16 from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. This is a picture of the church. We're joined and knit together. We love each other. According to the effective working, those are two Greek words that mean powerful, dynamic, forceful working, energy. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So how do we make disciples? How did they make disciples? Simple. They planted churches which planted more churches. You say, Greg, that's such a simple answer. That doesn't make sense. Surely we have to set up an organization called discipleship.org where we have curriculum and we have specially trained teachers and we have a plan and we have a registration process. No, no. They started churches and those churches started churches. You say, how can the church be the the factory for making disciples? Because it's a supernatural thing. I've been in so many churches, and I can honestly say I love the church because there are old and there are young. There are racial diversity groups. There are rich and poor. There are people who are outgoing and people who are introverted. There are some whose gift is organization, some whose gift is mercy, some who pray. There is every diverse type of person. We get together, we look to Jesus. We say, Lord, you are the boss. We worship him. His spirit floods into our midst and something supernatural happens. And as we are doing church, and being outward looking and spreading the gospel and worshiping Jesus, I become more of a disciple, I become more like Jesus, and new people come in and they become more like Jesus. It's not a special little department within the church called the discipleship department, no, it's us. As we do church, disciples are made. That's how they did it. Did they succeed? Yes, they succeeded spectacularly. Within the first three centuries after Jesus, the spread of Christianity was so extreme that nearly half of the people in the the known world were Christians. And then it became institutionalized and legalized and the Roman government said Christianity is okay and suddenly the spread of Christianity slowed almost to a stop And then in the middle 1500s, there was a revival again and and the Bible was made available again and Christianity started to spread. And for about 400 years, there was great increase. But then at the beginning of the 1900s, the Holy Spirit was poured out in America, in Mexico, in South America, in the Pacific Islands, in Ireland, in Scotland, in South Africa, in Kenya. There was just this explosion of the Holy Spirit's power And churches started operating again like they did in the book of Acts, where it wasn't so much an organization with structures and hierarchies, it was an organism of life, a family with the Holy Spirit's power focused on making disciples. And I want to tell you, in the regions that are not Europe and America, 
So South America, Africa, Asia, Christianity is expanding, exploding in numbers. So fast, Pentecostal Christianity is growing so quickly, it's like it was in, in the first three centuries again, because we're getting back to what this says. This is what we do. We have a, a mission. Turn this piece of plastic over, turn the world upside down by making disciples. We know how to do it. It's not complicated. Love Jesus. Get into churches, and then those churches plant more churches, and those churches plant more churches, and it's working. So how do we do it? Well, the lecture hall of Tyrannus is our Sunday meetings. We get together, a couple of hundred of us, but then church happens out there in our workplace, in our family life, and we meet in small groups, discipleship groups, 12 people. Everybody gets involved. We don't just come along every now and again to see a show. We are in there. We are yoked together. We are part of the team. We are ministers. We grow as disciples, new disciples are made. And then Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, so we do it here. And then we try to spread it wider, so we're going to the waterfront in a couple of months' time. We spread it into the UK. There's several churches that have started in the UK through this church's ministry. And then we've spread it far and wide. We hear from people in Africa, in New Zealand, in South America, in you name it. There are people watching and listening and the gospel is spreading. And you say, wow, what a superb organization you must have put together. No, it's God. You just do things his way and you get his results. You do things the world's way where you try to make it a business, you get no results. You worship Jesus, you follow his word, Everybody's a disciple and a discipler. Small groups, big meetings, spread open wide arms, and suddenly we see we've locked into something supernatural, and it's almost unstoppable. So, my challenge to you and to me is this. Are you a disciple? Over the last five weeks, we've looked at what a disciple is. But are you making disciples? Not of yourself, the way you make disciples is you get involved, locked into a church, you allow God's spirit to do it. And the joy of doing what you were created to do is unrivaled, you can't match it. You can't match the joy of doing what God told us to do and having Jesus walking along with us. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. I'm challenging you, get more involved, get stuck in. Get into a small group. Start a small group. Give a little bit extra to spread God's word. Get involved in making disciples. I promise you, you will not regret it. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.